freedom 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 over fame freedom over cycle stays the same welcome first of all welcome this is unsolicited perspectives and i'm your host bruce anthony thank you for listening and watching wherever you get your podcasts and video podcasts subscribe share like comment and rate us you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitch at unsolicited underscore perspectives. You can find us on Twitter and TikTok at unsolicited underscore PER. Watch us live now. Watch us live every Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Twitch and YouTube. Our audience, our audience continues to grow with each and every episode. And I humbly thank you. On today's episode, this is a two-part episode. I'm going to be interviewing Miss Olivia LaRue. She's a legal madam. This, ladies and gentlemen, this episode is for mature audiences only. Might be some cussing. Definitely going to be talking about sex work. But first things first. You know, when I started this podcast, uh, people asked me what my audience was. And I told them that uh, I don't have an audience. I don't have a niche, a niche, whatever you want to call it. I don't have one of those. My audience comes here. And this is not ego. It's not. It's, it's fact. My audience comes because they find me interesting. You see, there isn't anything specific that I talk about in these podcasts. This is not a sports podcast. It's not a a political podcast. It's not a social commentary podcast. It's all of that. I interview and talk to people that I find interesting. Some stuff you're going to find interesting, some stuff you're not. And that's okay. Not every episode is for everybody, but hopefully, hopefully, you get something out of every episode that you listen to. And I'm proud to announce that this is the 30th episode, 30th and 31st episode. Well, 30th and 32nd episode, because this is a two-parter. And I'm interviewing Miss Olivia LaRue, who is a sex worker and legal madam. And like I said, this interview is for mature audiences only. And, you know, I'm really one, I'm really happy that I got this interview. That's first and foremost. I'm really happy that Olivia took the time. And this was a this was a, a long conversation that we had. It was a good conversation. It was, it's to me, one of my best interviews because one, as I continuously do this, I feel like I'm getting better at it. And and two, it was and the ultimate conversation. Obviously, I was asking questions, but it was a it was an ultimate conversation. And I'm really I'm really proud. I'm proud of all of my interviews. There hasn't been a person that I interviewed that wasn't engaging, and that all of them had something important to say. And whether you realize it or not, <laughs> the teacher in me, there's a lesson in each one of my podcasts. There is. There's a lesson in each and every one of my podcasts. And, you know, I will interview professors. I will interview Olympic coaches. I will interview 
therapists. I will interview social workers. I will interview ordinary people that just happen to be Jewish that live here in America. I interview who I think is interesting. And so going back to that idea of what my niche or what my audience is, as I said, I don't have either one. I'm an 80s baby, right? I grew up in the 80s. When you were home for sick, you had the daytime talk shows. And the daytime talk shows I saw, Donahue, Geraldo before, you know, before he jumped on Fox News. You had Oprah, Sally Jesse, uh, uh, what was the girl, Rachel? Rachel, not Rachel Ray. I was about to call Rachel Ray, but y'all know who I'm talking about. Of course, later on down the line became the excess stuff of more Povich and Jerry Springer. And that I don't get into that. But those earlier talk shows, they just talked, they interviewed people that they found interesting. And I'm not comparing myself to any one of those people yet, but I'm going to get there. And I'm going to get there because I talk to people who I think are interesting or have something interesting about them. And that's what I did with Miss Olivia LaRue, because what she brings to this interview is extremely interesting. And when you listen to both parts, if you pay attention to my questions and her answers, there's a lesson to be learned in this podcast. I almost feel like putting a poll up on my Instagram account to see if you guys could figure out what the lesson is. And there is an overall theme to each and every one of my podcasts, an overarching theme. Think of my podcast as one long series that has a beginning and an end. And I know what my point is. I'm trying, I know the story that I'm trying to tell. I know what the point is that I'm trying to get across. And I'm going to get across to you, whether I have to ram it in your heads or not, because you keep coming back because you find what I'm doing and what me and my sister are doing. Let's not, let's not cut her out the equation. I understand the dynamic between me and my sister it's very, very good. We've had 37 years to practice on it. The dynamic that you see between me and my sister is just us. But it can't, my podcast can't just be about the dynamic of just me and my sister. There are other people out there that I think are interesting, that I want to talk to, that I want to interview, that I, I believe that their story should be put out there in the world. And Miss Olivia LaRue is one of those people. I'm so excited for this interview. I'm so excited for you guys to learn about what truly is sex work and what goes into it. And the outside periphery of what people deal with on their day-to-day -day lives, being a sex worker. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it somewhere in between? I'm going to say that it's somewhere in between because isn't that life? Life is everything about being in between. There's good and there's bad. And every day that you live, there's good and there's bad. But what Miss Olivia brings to this conversation is a light upon the sex work industry that I feel is becoming more and more mainstream with the explosion of OnlyFans and every average uh, everyday citizens doing sex work. And the stigma slowly but surely is starting to be stripped away. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Mm -hmm. 
I'm excited today. I'm going to be interviewing Miss Olivia LaRue, a legal madam. Olivia, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I'm super excited. You don't know how excited I am because we're going to be talking about sex, more specifically sex work. Um, I introduced you as a legal madam, but you're way more than that. Can you tell the people a little bit about what it is that you do? I would love to. Thank you. I am a legal courtesan and an agent for other legal sex workers, thus making me a madam. Um, not only that, but I mentor new sex workers in the industry, and I consult clients on best practices for hiring a sex worker. And I have a totally separate business that's sex therapy. And then I have another separate business that's a holistic healing therapy practice. So you've got it. You got it all. If it, if it <laughs> comes to healing, you got it <laughs> taken care of. Now, you said you were, uh, you said a legal madam and you said a uh, custodian. What, what was Cortisone. that word? Courtesan. Courtesan. What is that? A courtesan is a word used to describe usually a woman who is educated in many different subjects, including sex, and who will trade her time for money. Well, okay, so it's not solely just for sex. It, so a lot of women are courtesans. If you're a lawyer, you're trading your services for money. It, it all really just depends on how you define it. If you look up courtesan on Google, the first thing that pops up is a prostitute. Okay. So if you look it up in Merriam-Webster, you get the definition closer to what I gave you, which is what I prefer. Okay. <laughs> That's what we're going to go with. Could you tell me a little bit about your journey in the sex work industry and how you became an advocate for safe sex work? I think that's extremely important. I would love to. Thank you for asking. And um, before I became a sex worker, I was an executive chef and I was a chef for oh, about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And one day I was dabbling, you know, I was dabbling in sex work. And one day I just had an epiphany and I literally threw down my mop because even though I was the boss, I was mopping the floors at the end of the night. I threw down my mop. I said, screw this. <laughs> I'm going to go do what I want to do. And, and that started my journey as a sex worker. And I didn't have anybody to tell me the right way and the wrong way. Mm -hmm. I didn't have I I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. I literally just put my picture up on the internet and got a call and just started doing it. And I learned a lot of things the hard way, which is why I want to help people that are getting into this industry because learning things the hard way is dangerous, painful, um costs money, um can really turn people off to the industry if they have a bad experience. And I want to be able to guide folks in this industry because it's dangerous. It can be risky. Um, there are a lot of predators out there. And I know I'm not making it sound very good, but there's a lot of good sides too. You know, you get that money up front, you meet cool people, you get to do fun things, you get to dress up and be pretty and be nice. And there's pros and cons, but it's really helpful to have somebody 
just there for you and guiding you. Yeah. As you said, the hard way. So mm -hmm. I can't I can't leave that uh, without asking a question. What are some like with with what you're comfortable discussing? What are some of the lessons that you learned the hard way? Thank you for asking. Um, well, you know, there's some pretty tame stories where just I show up and the hotel room that the client said to meet them at doesn't exist. So that was a waste mm. of my time. Mm. And then we can, that's one end of the spectrum. We can go all the way to the other end of the spectrum where I drive two hours to this desolate cabin in the woods and I go in and the guy has a dungeon all laid out and like, is trying to feed me alcohol, I don't drink, uh, you know, and it's like, oh, I feel very unsafe and alone and afraid and uh, my cell phone doesn't work out here because it's the middle of nowhere in the mountains. So that kind of stuff. And there's all this stuff in between. And then there's just a lot of weird perverts out there. <laughs> to be, you know, quite frank. Right. So I've learned what the red flags are to look for, the yellow flags. I've learned the right questions to ask in my screening process. I've developed the screening process. Um, I've, I've learned the correct ways to kind of navigate the initial discussion when a client or a potential client reaches out to me. And these are all the things that you, that you teach uh, escorts that are, are, so are these escorts, are they initially under you or is this a service that you provide for anybody that's looking to get into the business, whether they're going to work for you or not? Thank you for asking. Um, I'm very flexible. Mm -hmm. If somebody doesn't live where I live, then I can't manage them directly because I can't really set up their in calls and and get them clients from my client base. So I would give them more of a coaching experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm very flexible because really it's, yes, I want to make money, but it's more about that. I want to help people in this industry be safe. Safe. Yes. What is, so I used to work in the restaurant business and mm -hmm. I've worked in the gym as a fitness professional and manager and things of that nature. And the turnover in those type of businesses are relatively like, quick. What is the turnover in sex work? Ooh, good question. I want to say that there's a couple different layers, mm -hmm. excuse me, of turnover. And so there's the, the women that get into it and they do it once or twice and they don't like it. It's not for them. And then there's the women who will get into it for maybe a year, nine months to a year. Mm -hmm. That's pretty common. And then they either move or life or whatever. This might come as a surprise, but women who choose sex work as a career are not always the most stable. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then I'm like a lifer. I feel like I'm a career sex worker. So I've been doing it for 10 years. <laughs> that is a long time. That is not common, but I know that there are many courtesans who are in it for decades. Okay. And that's because we really love the work and it's a calling to us. Um, and then there's, 
I see them online. There's some that come and go. You know, they'll do it for a year and then they'll go try to get another job and then they'll come back and they do this vacillation thing. So that's pretty common too. What are some of the reasons why they would come in and out? Okay, let me let me rephrase that question. I don't want to bombard you with too many things at one time. You're good. What is some reasons why they will get out? I think the number one reason is they get into a relationship. Ah, okay, and and their significant other has an issue with what they are doing. Mm-hmm. Or don't they don't want to even tell them that that's what they do. Hmm. Okay, so what would be some of the reasons why somebody would get out and then come back in? I would assume the number one reason would be the dollar dollar bill. You got it. Okay. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> so so they get out for whatever reason and you know, they go out there and, and they get a different job and they just say, you know what? The money is better over here. I'm gonna go back to this. Bingo. You are correct. Yes. I just had that conversation the other day with someone. She's like, I'm not paying my bills with Instacart. I'm like, really? (laughs) (laughs) You're comparing Instacart to sex work. Okay. All right. No, I I think the pay disparity is going to be pretty significant in those two situations. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. Yes. Miss ma'am. Yes. That would make sense that you would not make as much money doing Instacart. As you would sex work. Okay. (laughs) Um, Could you explain what a certified sex therapist is and a surrogate partner? Sure. That's what I'm really interested in, a surrogate Mm -hmm. partner, but but certified sex therapist as well. Okay. I'll start with a certified sex therapist. So that is a broad term. Uh, It depends on what state you're in first, if you can call yourself a therapist or not. And then you can get certified in any number of different kinds of sex therapy. There's somatic sex education, and then there's surrogate partner therapy like what I have. You can get certified from the American Association of Sexual Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. If you want to be a sex therapist, there's lots of choices. Okay. Um, Yeah. But like in the state of California, you have to be a certain kind of therapist to call yourself a therapist or whatever. So it, if you get kind of, you have to do your research. I'm in Nevada. Pretty much anything goes here. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, the girls at the Mustang ranch can probably call themselves a certified sex therapist if they wanted to. Okay. But I legit actually did get trained to be a surrogate partner therapist, which is a kind of sex therapist that uses touch to work through trauma that the body holds on to that manifests itself as sexual dysfunction, for example. Ah, Yes. Now, if you are a man in your 50s and you grew up in an abusive childhood situation, You might have told yourself everything's okay. You might be very successful. You know, you might have lots of money or you might not be, whatever. But you might have logically worked through these issues, said, oh, I'm fine now. The body keeps the score. One day, for lack of a better way to put this, your dick doesn't work anymore. What's up? That's where I come in, right? Mm-hmm. So we we combine talk therapy with touch therapy, and that's what the surrogate partner does. I'm the touch therapist, and I have a talk therapist on my team. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and it was developed in the 1960s by Masters and Johnson. They are the original sex therapists in America. And so I got certified by somebody who practices in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And it it was really great. I do, I think I do good work. I don't know. I help people with it. So. Well, I mean, if you're helping people with it, then that means you're doing good work. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So that isn't, it's not solely restricted to just men though, correct? Mm-hmm. It, it, mm-hmm. So um, I have a, a bunch of questions and I'm trying to organize them all in my head. Okay. Mm-hmm. First question, how often do you get into a situation where a man's member isn't working and it's not physical? You know, the 50 years old, it might be, it might be in that situation where things stop working. How often is it just, it's not physical, it's completely mental. And does that just pop up out of the blue like that? Um, does it just pop up? It usually, well... I'm talking figuratively, not literally. (laughs) Men seem to pay attention when their member stops working. So when that happens, then they're like on it, you know, Um, and they come to me when it's not physical, when it's Mm. a mental thing, because if it was physical, they could go to a urologist or they could go to their doctor and solve it that way. So most of the times they've already done that and it hasn't worked and then they come to me and then we work through their issues. Um, I don't want to give away too many secrets here about the industry, but like abandonment is a huge reason for some reason it is. And it just seems like all the men that come to me, they were abandoned some way, shape or form by like their mother or their father. And it manifested sexual dysfunction in their forties to sixties in that range. Wow. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't have, it wouldn't have affected them when they were younger. It just takes a while for some reason. I, yeah, I don't know. Huh. That's interesting. Um, so how does the process, you don't have to explain the process, but, but <laughs> <laughs> not in detail, but how does that work with women? It, are, are we talking cis women? Are we talking gay women? Um, what are we talking about? Good question. So for women who are straight, uh, there are male surrogate partners. I will work with women who are straight if they want to work with another woman. I'll work with women who are bi or gay, and I'll work with men who are straight. Usually the gay men don't want to work with me. But sometimes, side note, sometimes they don't know they're gay. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait okay. a minute. How does how does that happen? How does one not know that they're gay? Yeah, especially in this day and age, you know, when yeah. it's like it's okay to be gay and all that stuff. Um they're brought up in really strict religious households and there's a lot of shame and guilt around it. And so they haven't, they're in a big denial situation and, and we work through that. Um, yeah. Denials, heavy. It gets heavy. Yeah. Denial is not just a river folks. It's something that, that we do that uh, can be very prevalent in our lives. Okay. So you work with men and women. And so the surrogate partner, originally when I read that, 
I was thinking, so like, is it a couple that are having sexual issues and you guys are the surrogate as in physically, literally the surrogate for them to kind of prime up the person? I know this question is probably coming off as ignorant, but this is literally what was going on in my head because I'm, I'm really not versed in all of this stuff. So, yeah. Mm. It doesn't come off as ignorant at all because nobody really knows about this because nobody talks about it, right? Right. Um, with couples, it's a little trickier. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of pitfalls and traps. So I try to remain, I try to keep my ethics really high. You know, I always try to keep my ethics really high, but like uber hyper vigilant when it comes to couples. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually what I'm doing with couples is I'm teaching them the techniques and exercises that I would use on an individual. And then they okay. can go home and do that. Not with me there. Okay. And, you All know, right. unless they want me there, but only once have I done that. And that was weird. so okay now i have a follow-up question you're in in sex work so i'm sure you see a lot of weird things you bring up and i don't know if that was real or not but the guy with the dungeon and the sex dungeon or whatever like you see weird stuff so what about that was weird and and yeah what what about that was weird okay I am not going to talk about it too much because of client confidentiality, but I have two words for you. Okay. Animal husbandry. I don't uh, know what that, I'm at a loss for words. Yeah. Okay. In the words of, yeah, in the words of Bernie Mac, let's move on. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) No problem. No problem. (laughs) Uh, I want to make sure that everybody's comfortable and, and my audience is going to listen to this stuff. Don't worry. I pre-warned them. Like, don't listen to this episode with the kids around. Some of them drive with the kids. Don't do that. Not today. Um, what are some of the misconceptions about sex work that you encounter and how do you address these misconceptions? Okay, yeah, the misconceptions that I encounter. Um, when I, I was thinking about that question, and then like an hour later, this happened to me. Escorts do not want to see pictures of anybody's penis. <laughs> we just don't. We know I'm what a- they look like. Surprise us. Let us use our imagination. <laughs> okay, so I... I- <laughs> I was literally talking to somebody in the gym that I was working out with today and she was showing me her Instagram and her and her DMs. And I was like, don't show me anything that I don't, I don't want to see. She was just like, there are just a lot of dick pics in these, in these direct messages. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've never understood that logic to, to randomly send out uh, a dick pic to a stranger. I don't understand why somebody would send out a dick pic to somebody that they're going to, that's going to eventually see it anyway, right? Because these are people that are going to hire you, right? So what's what's the rationale for sending out the pic? Have you ever asked one and just said, why'd you send this to me? No. No. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I usually, I have, a, I have a text that I send back 
that says, um, sending unsolicited pictures of your genitalia is a form of sexual harassment and you mm -hmm. are now blocked. Wow. Uh, so, okay. So that's a misconception. Like they want to see it, but that's kind of a misconception across the board for, for people in general, right? Whether you're, you're, if you're a heterosexual female or if you're a gay male, I'm sure that there are a lot of people getting unsolicited dick pics. What are some different misconceptions as far as sex work is concerned? Sure. Okay. So one of them that you brought up is, is the misconception. I would say this, that there's a misconception that everybody that does sex work has a rough background. Mm. Um, and I've met people, I guess, as exotic dancer, is that considered sex work? Okay, so I, I, one of my best friends was a dancer. And my boys used to always say, you know, she probably has a, a crazy past. And I was like, no, actually, she came from a two-parent household, good upbringing. She's one of my best friends. She she never told me about anything crazy happening to her today. She's just paying her way through grad school. Nah, it has to be something. So I would imagine that the clients come to you. Some of them have that idea wrapped in their head, maybe. Yeah. Yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, Captain Sabaho is what we call them. <laughs> It's also what my sister calls me, but let's move on from that. That's <laughs> <laughs> also what my sister calls me. <laughs> okay, so so what are some other misconceptions? Just just things that 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 you encounter from potential clients or clients, and you're just like, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what's going on in your head that you would approach um, me in this manner. Yeah, well, that we're all drug addicts and that's a big one. Um, I guess there's some sex workers that are up in the middle of the night, but not this one. I have kids, so like, you know, I have a normal schedule and mm -hmm. I am not going to be answering your text that you sent me at 2.30 in the middle of the night. Ask me if I want to go do some blow with you um, at the casino. Okay, no. yeah, no, all right. So that's uh, okay. So in, in, in our, in our pre-show discussions, you mentioned that you have clients all over the U S and internationally. Mm -hmm. Now I'm really curious about this. Can you discuss how the legal status works for sex work in various parts of regions and internationally? And how does that affect your work? Good question. Um, okay. So in Nevada, Sex work is legal in certain counties. So oh. it's not legal in the counties that have high populations. So really? Where I'm at, yeah. Mm -hmm. I thought it was legal across Nevada. Nope. But um, it is legal in cities as a municipal code. If you look up your city, like Seattle, if you look it up, you are allowed to have a business that's an escort service. You just have to apply for the right business license. Mm -hmm. So it's actually legal in more places than people think. But in Nevada, in the county that I'm in, and in the county that Las Vegas is in, it is illegal. So right when you cross the county line, brothel, uh -huh. brothel, 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 brothel. Right. And so if you're in Vegas and you're getting the girls from the brothels, they're coming across the county line to come see you. That would be illegal? 
If they're coming yeah. into actually, if they're coming into the city of Vegas, because you said in Vegas, it's actually illegal. So it is illegal to solicit. It is illegal to pander and it is illegal to um, advertise yourself outwardly, I guess, like stand on the street corner and, mm-hmm. you know, try to get the guys in the cars. But um, if someone contacts me and asks me if I can come over, as long as there's no dollars for sex acts. So it's illegal to say how much would it cost for me to get insert sex act here. Mm-hmm. That's illegal and that's entrapment and you're going to get blocked. But if you're texting a girl who's a known escort and you're asking her to come over for an hour, how much would that be? Then that's not illegal. You're just asking how the, the whole time for money thing. Now, is that depending on state to state? So for instance, I'm, I'm actually in the state of Virginia, but I'm right I'm literally right outside the line, the DC line. Mm-hmm. So we have escort services mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to ask, cause I should have asked it at the top uh, of the, the interview, what exactly would be considered sex work? Uh, because even I am unsure about that, but so escorts. So it, in Virginia and DC, is it, and you don't need to know all the state codes, but just generally speaking, can somebody just say, hey, how much would it cost for you to come over for an hour? And that isn't illegal no matter where you are, or is it just in specific places, that specific language? That language is pretty much legal anywhere because you could huh. be talking about house cleaning. You could be talking about babysitting. Huh, okay. Well, for all those people that live in DC, uh, now, you know, <laughs> now, you know, so how does that work internationally? Like, how does that do for you? Like clients that you have in different areas, cause you're based out of Nevada. So let's say you have a client in, in Illinois, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to see you, do they fly you out? Do you pay for your own expenses to meet with them? How does that even work? Um, when I am meeting a client out of town, they will either buy my plane ticket or, give me a deposit so I can buy my own plane ticket. And then I'm going to see them and only them. Mm-hmm. That's completely legal. It'd be just like, I'm going to go visit my uncle and he's paying for my plane ticket or whatever. Right. right? Um, so yeah, no worries where it gets a little sketchy is when you go on tour and you like girls do this all the time. We go on tour. Okay. And so we, get a room out of town and we advertise on the escort sites out of town and um, and then we see clients. Mm-hmm. If you have an established clientele, then it's a little better. But if it's your first time there, you don't know where the stings are. Mm-hmm. Here they run stings every week. You know, it's wow. like clockwork. It's like, oh, the Sands Casino, it's Thursday night. Yeah, they're running a sting, you know. That's because I'm in the industry and I know that. But if mm-hmm. I went somewhere else, if I went to um, Kentucky, I don't know. I don't know how they do stuff there. Mm-hmm. It's a little more dangerous. And um, if I were to, like, go try to find clients by going and sitting in a bar and talking to somebody. That's soliciting. That's soliciting. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
it's even worse if I go and I try to find another girl to work for me somewhere else. That's pandering. Hmm. So, and that's a felony. Wow. Soliciting so, prostitution is a misdemeanor. Wait a minute. What? Yeah. Okay. Uh, can you break that down for me? So if somebody asks me if I want to X for dollars, that's a misdemeanor. Uh -huh. If I ask another girl if she would do that. That's a felony. Yes. Like, well, you want you want to come work for me and do that? I just committed a felony. Uh, but not where you live. Where I live, yes. Where you live. So when you're mentoring escorts and they're working for you, that's all. They come to you. You are not going to the casino and saying, hey, you're kind of pretty. Have you ever thought of this? Bingo. That actually got me kicked out of a casino here. That's how I learned about that. Okay. Learning things the hard way. <laughs> Wait a minute. Can you tell me that story? Is that okay? Yeah. I can. I would love to. I was at a casino. This was before I had my condo downtown. So I was renting rooms at the casino and uh, I was getting a coffee. And behind me in line was a pretty young lady. And we were talking and she said I was pretty. And I said she was pretty. And then blah, blah, blah. One thing leads to another. And I say, hey, you know, if you want, we can make some money. So she comes up to my room and I start taking her pictures and I'm like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And she seemed totally into it. She's like, oh, let me know. And I get her pictures posted online. I'm like, hey, do you like these? And she ghosts me. Hmm. The next day I go into the casino to go to my room to work and I'm locked out. All my stuff's in security and they won't tell me why. They just told me that I am kicked out and banned from that casino forever. Was it a setup? Huh. But I don't know. That's wow. Banned yeah. from the casino forever. Yeah, oh, darn. Yeah. All <laughs> right. So to, to end this segment is how I should have began the segment. Uh, but I was so excited to get this interview that uh, I'm jumping all over the place. What technically is sex work? Oh, good question. And I'm sure I'm going to forget something. So forgive me, anybody that's listening to this and I forget their niche. Um, exotic dancing stripping, escorting, uh, sugar baby, cam girls, uh, porn stars, only fans that can be sex work, um, massage parlors that offer the happy ending of sex work. Uh, I might have forgotten. Pimping, you know, pimping ain't easy. <laughs> that's what they say. I've never done it, but that's what they say. Being a madam, um, being an agent, running a sex work ad site. I think that's about it. Oh, phone sex. They don't really do that. I don't know. Is that a thing anymore? I, I would think that video phone sex would be more of a thing than actual. Yeah. But maybe. Maybe it is still a thing. I, I don't know. But I do remember the the eight seven six nine seven six two six three four numbers from uh, that used to be on USA Up All Night at, at one o'clock in the morning in nineteen ninety three when I was thirteen years old. But that was too much information. Wow, you really do remember that? Huh? It's, I just it's, it's burned into your brain. I made up that number. That wasn't a real number. Wow. Wow. That was just the first part of this interview. And you could tell by the energy that Olivia brings to the table. 
why she's good at her job. Like as I'm speaking to her, I feel my body gravitating towards her. not on a physical level. I'm just she engages my attention. And when you engage people's attention, you could draw them in. She's probably I know for a fact that she's fantastic at her job of just making people feel comfortable because she made me feel comfortable uh, talking about topics that some could deem as uncomfortable. I'm not one of those people. I don't mind talking about sex. I love sex. Uh, but, you know, so sex makes people uncomfortable. Uh, it's, uh, and and it's good to talk to somebody who is free, sexually free. Because uh, you feel you find so many people who are sexually repressed. Go back, go back and look at all those uh, serial killers and mass murderers. Sexually repressed, sexually repressed, you know, and uh, and 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 the crazy thing about it is the people that are supposed to be. Uh, all right. I was I was going to say I was going to attack, you know, people that. Let's move on. I'm not even going to go there. Let's 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 move on. Maybe I'll talk about it on my talk of straight ish show uh, uncensored and, and I'll do a follow up of this interview where I could completely be uncensored and tell you about you know, what I think about people out there that are, that are judging sex work and are, are repressed from, are sexually repressed and all that other stuff. But I'm not going to do that here. But Olivia gave us a, a, a lot of information about the misconceptions of sex work, what sex work actually is, what is, what constitutes sex work. Um, everybody always thinks sex work is either prostitution or porn, and there's so much in, more involved with it. There, the, the, the sexual therapist part of it, like people think of sex therapy as Dr. Ruth. I don't know. Most of you younger millennials and Gen Z people are not going to know who Dr. Ruth is. Do a Google search, like do a Google search. I'm not going to break down who Dr. Ruth is, but Dr. Ruth was a sex therapist, like one of the most popular and world-renowned sex therapists. And, you know, Olivia brings up a very valid point. Like, you know, people depending on how long you are with people or your history, um, people get hung up on sex and, and, and sex is a natural thing. Like sex is natural, literally one of the most natural things that you could do. Right. It, it, every species, well, every species that can has sex, right? Like sex is a thing. Sex is needed to procreate, to keep the population going. So sex in and of itself is not a bad thing. I've always been the person that I've never understood why paying for sex is necessarily a bad thing. I'm somebody who goes out on dates. From time to time, I have sex on my dates. Sorry, mom. Uh, but it's true. I'm not a virgin. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Um, could that be the same thing? If I'm paying for the date, if I'm taking them out for dinner, Kind of, am I also paying for sex? I mean, it's a way to look at it. So when you think of it in that aspect, if I just wanted to go out there and just have some sex, why do I have to go through all the other process, especially if I'm not really interested in dating somebody? Why do I have to go through that whole process of entertaining somebody that I have no intention of actually being with? It's a waste of time for both me and that other person when the end goal Unfortunately, ladies, sometimes the end goal for that man is just sex. And if we could just 
give the money directly to a person? Well, we find out that you can't even do that in that profession. But, but you know, we pay money out to get sex. That's what it is. And uh, I really appreciate Olivia opening up. There's There's a part two where we dig into uh, more personal things uh, about her life. Because uh, this was basically solely about sex work and, uh, you know, kind of what she does for a living. And uh, I, I, I found it very, very interesting and enlightening and engaging. She's a really good interviewer, uh, interviewee. Uh, just her personality bleeds through. So this was part one. Check out part two. It's coming to you. I'll let you know. But until then, I'm a holler. Thank you for listening to Unsolicited Perspectives with Bruce Anthony. Please subscribe, like, comment, share, and donate. Donations help us keep giving you this free content each and every week. Until next time, howdy 5,000. Peace. Over fame, the cycle stays the same. Freedom, freedom over fame.